This is the one with a psychedelic stargate. Post-apocalyptic 1980. An uncool fez. And busty mummies. It's called Pyramids of Mars. Here we go. We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalen Hood, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What ho and welcome, people of podcast land, to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. Doc Past. We are here today to talk about Pyramids of Mars, C082. We being myself, Jim. Hello, Jim. And that other <laughs> lovely voice you just heard being... Leon. Oh, hello. Hello, Leon. Hello, Jim. Hello, podcast land. Hello, podcast land. Hello, Leon. Hello, podcast land. <laughs> hello, done, me. We've done that one. <laughs> okay, sorry. Oh, hello, Jim. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> we might be a little drunk already before we start recording. Mm. <laughs> and uh, heads up, we are not going to sober up during this recording. <laughs> <laughs> I will drink to that. Excellent. <laughs> so this is an episode that I apologize, but I, you pointed this out before you press record. I've been baking this up for you for a while now. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to pull any punches. I was slightly disappointed. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I feel like that's my fault. The hype machine was in full swing and I was not entirely on board. Do you hear that BBC and Doctor Who crew if you need someone working PR? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there'll be lots of things that we will uncover as to why this may be a, a good thing in your memory, but mm-hmm. not a as good thing in my watching. I almost entirely disagree with you. Okay. <laughs> I love the shit out of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we get everyone up to speed on what the hell this serial's about? Oh, do let's. Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who. The TARDIS is once again pulled off course on its return lap to Unit HQ, and though it arrives in the right space, it's a few years ahead of time. In its place stands a priory that is a mere expository scene away from being occupied by Sutef the Destroyer, last of the Sirens, Egyptian god of death, to you and me, alien Thanos wannabe to Horus and everybody else who really matters. Trying to free himself after millennia of bondage, <laughs> Sutek commands a handful of robot mummies and the possessed former owner of the estates, Marcus Scarman, to build and fire a pyramid-shaped missile at Mars, which for some unknown reason is the mechanical gatekeeper of his prison. The Doctor and Sarah Jane Smith intervene, and cultural appropriation ensues. Biska over, you are welcome. <laughs> To be fair, it was actually lower on the cultural appropriation scale than I thought it would be. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. It, well, it was it was contextually appropriate in that the British went and just stole stuff, just stole yeah. stuff from Egypt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Literally, my first note for this entire serial is, typical English explorer type, breaking into pyramids. <laughs> <laughs> this is my place now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All this shit is mine. <laughs> Something dawned on me only afterwards, that very first scene, that there are a few chaps who let him into the, the tomb. Hmm. 
they are the only people who survive this serial. Oh. Everyone else dies. <laughs> Not counting the Doctor and Sarah Jane's Yeah. Course. Is that... Oh my god, that's... I think so. That's probably for legits, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so main people we have in this, we have the two Skarman brothers. Yes. Oh, the Skarman brothers. <laughs> <laughs> that, that good comedy duo that's been doing the East End circuit for years. Slash boy band. <laughs> Um, yeah, they both get it. Yeah. I mean, one of them Ibrahim is dead. <laughs> yes, he uh, gets it. He gets it quite early on. He gets it in such a cool way, but we'll get to that as oh well. We have <laughs> Warlock. Warlock. <laughs> <laughs> Best name for anyone ever. <laughs> Dr. Warlock, no less. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Warlock's a fantastic name. Um, we get Poacher, who we don't even learn his name until I think after he's died. Oh, I, I, I believe he's called Clements. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, I think that the rings a bell. Hunter Poacher guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Don't threaten me with the dead fish. Then we have, <laughs> sorry, still still in Withnell country. Uh, then we have, obviously, Sutek. He is totally deadsville. And every single mummy robot, totally gonzo. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think you've got this. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone, Everyone does. does. <laughs> Well, they should have just stayed at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so w- before we jump into this, so I'm sorry that I said all those things that raised your expectations unreasonably and ultimately led to your disappointment. Let's be clear. I, it's not disappointment. I think, okay. I, think I, was, I was expecting it more in the, the ballpark of whatever the name of the serial is where um, Davros first appears. Oh, Genesis of the Daleks? Genesis of the Daleks, yeah. that's the one. Genesis of the Daleks is a fantastic serial. Yeah, yeah. Like, which had legendary status. Yes. And I was expecting it to be more along that kind of line of yeah. legendary. Whereas it's, it's just a good serial in, in, my, oh, okay. in my mind, really. Like, I like Egyptian stuff mm-hmm. as much as the next person. <laughs> <laughs> Sutek is pretty cool. The, the brief period where we get the servant of Sutek that isn't Marcus Scarman. He's oh, just, yeah. He's just all out melting people. He was way cooler than yeah. the Scarman version of him, yeah. We literally get that at the end of episode one for 30 seconds. And that's probably the best 30 seconds in the entire series in my mind. Oh, you think so? Yeah, just him just going, absolutely, yeah, you're done now. I'm just going to fucking kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Smoke the ass out of you. Yeah, okay, yeah. Let, let, oh. All right, should we just talk about that scene? Because that is beautiful. In terms of production value, it's incredible. He, We get smoke emanating from every footstep. Yeah. And when he, I mean, he basically barbecues the dude from the inside, like holds onto him, and smoke emanates from where he's grabbing onto his yeah. shoulders. It's incredible. And I wonder if maybe the the thought was, oh, wait, hang on. Are we setting this character up to constantly be doing that? And is that too expensive or too complicated? And therefore, uh, we need think? to morph him into a regular, like, you know, human-looking character. Or or is there some other reason for it? Was it maybe... Because he's wearing a mask, right? Yeah. Well, so maybe that's the reason. It's not expressive enough or something like that. I don't know. Because they... It's not even that he's his character's wearing that mask. I think they... Do they not do a morph shot where... He just goes from... From that to Osirian. He, he does the same thing, right? He also looks... He looks exactly like every other Osirian. He has that sort of dog face. Oh, later on. No, no I, was, I was thinking when, when he goes from... Because like, I, I took this to be a t- totally different character when he, when he first appears through the portal. He is a different character. Um, the servant of Sutek. 
and then he he morphs into Marcus. Yeah, who is himself afterwards not a servant of Sutek, but effectively Sutek. Yeah, I think so, he even introduces himself at one point as "I am Sutek." Like he is just an extension of his yeah. master's intellect. Well, that seems to be an entire thing of Sutek's power is is mind control, really. Yeah, like, oh, all, that's true. And I guess kind of almost telekinetic things as well, just like controlling things with his mind, be it, oh. be it other minds. I or, mean, we obviously have the bit where he floats the necklace, not the necklace, the TARDIS key, and that sort of oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that is telekinesis. Yeah, 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 no, yeah, yeah, yeah we did right. get straight telekinesis, yeah. Which is quite cool. I think I like having an antagonist that that's their power. Yeah. You don't come across that that often, actually, where it's just all about mind control and, and stuff. And I think it's done quite well that... He's he's stuck in this prison, and yet he's still. I mean, he able can't even move to... in the in the prison. No, yeah. He can move towards the end, but I mean, otherwise he's sat there on a throne. He can't even move really his hands. Dying for a bit. Yeah, <laughs> after millennia, <laughs> just stuck there. Oh, poor guy. <laughs> the, the last time that we've had something like that, I, I apologize, Podcastland, if I'm forgetting something else. But the last one that I can remember is Mind of Evil which was a, it's a black and white serial, set in a prison, it's a Trouton one, and there's this alien in a bucket <laughs> <laughs> who feeds off, I want to say, anger and aggression. Okay. And so it's like a form of rehabilitation. They put it in a prison and it just like feeds off the, it, it basically sedates all the prisoners who otherwise would be violent mm-hmm. and you know, tempestuous. But then he uses that aggression as power to like plop into other people's heads so he can cause hallucinations and cause people like control people but it's yeah it's it's a strange thing that we don't get that more often what about new who do we get that a lot in new who? i don't know if we do actually i think in new who maybe less likely to because they've got big budgets to throw at special effects that's true and if they do maybe there's a technological background to it so someone mm. has a gadget that allows them to control mine and what yeah else? possibly yeah because we have had something don't we get a third of the Earth population stood on ledges, or is that something else? <laughs> is that Sherlock? <laughs> no, that rings a bell. Okay, back to this one then, from New Who and Gadgets and, and whatnot. Wait, hang on. Bridging the gap between this one and New Who. Okay. This one is partly set on Mars. We've had Mars. Mars is, I mean, it, it's one of those, let's call it the Kodak moment planets of our solar system. Yeah. Mars has appeared before. I, I can only think of a few episodes. I bet you there are a billion, like a bajillion episodes with Mars in it. First time in Classic Who, by the way. But, so we have, we have Egyptians on there. We have, or Egyptian gods-ish. Yeah, yeah. Osirens. Osirens or Assyrians, depending on whom you ask. Ice warriors from Capaldi. Yes. Colonial British soldiers, also from that same Capaldi episode. And then whatever it was that 28 days later, all those gadget gadget scientists in uh, Waters of Mars. And all of this is happening at the same time. I mean, presumably, right, like in, in 19, whenever this takes place, before 1980 anyway, presumably there are ice warriors up there right now. I forget the ice warrior thing. Were they frozen up there? Were they... Or, or were they living I think so, up there? Yeah. No, I think they were frozen. They had like a... I mean, we haven't gotten that far. We're not in Capaldi times yet, but yeah. I, I feel like they had... They were in cryogenic stasis or something on Mars. Yeah. And at the same time, there's... Now I've forgotten the plot of Waters of Mars, but there's like a bacteria or something in the wa- in water on Mars that's also frozen on Mars that is turning people into 28 Days Laser Monkeys. 
maybe the um the pyramid like there's, there's no concept for this at all but maybe that's that was actually keeping lots of things dormant there's a plumbing leakage in the pyramid <laughs> that's leaking the zombie water into it. Yeah. yeah that's anyway sorry yeah uh, observation <laughs> <laughs> um there's a little thing you may have slightly alluded to there which mm-hmm. i don't know if i i just miss understood things but I, I read a little bit of trivia that makes me think that maybe i didn't misunderstand things oh, okay sarah jane mentions in this serial that she's from 1980 yes i i read a teeny tiny bit of trivia as well and apparently this is the source of much controversy yeah I, i've read a little bit it's, it even has a name i think it's like the unit time scoop <laughs> what's it called um no i'm not gonna find the link again but yeah that there's serious issues with dating the unit episodes yeah i think and this is the first point where it becomes an issue because I, I would assume up to this point certainly i had assumed that when we were on earth we were on then present day earth as in this would be 1975 yeah and then this throws in the curveball that it's actually randomly five years in the future not even far enough in the future where it would really make a difference just that's true just further in the future but it's in the building that precedes units headquarters so they, this takes place largely in a priory that burns down, spoilers, at the end of the serial, and yes. in its place will be built unit headquarters, where the Doctor has previously been with lots of other people, but, and I guess this is the paradox, in earlier 1970s. I don't, I don't know, well, it depends if you accept it as a paradox, because, yeah, it seems that the Doctor starts this fire to then make this space vacant for a unit headquarters to be built. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so all the other episodes that we've seen before, they've taken place. Yeah, exactly. So let's say this takes place in 1976 or 77. Every other unit episode that we've seen has taken place in 1978 onwards. And that then solves the problem. He hangs out with Benton and Yates and everyone else and Bagels, obviously, and he has his other companions. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. We end up in 1980. He meets Sarah Jane Smith. They go on adventures. And in this one, they go back in time. Yeah, I, I mean, that's what it's meant to be, I think. So what's the controversy then? So the controversy, like I said at the start, like I, I just had assumed that the point of time that Sarah Jane came from was 1975 or 74, actually, possibly when she first appeared. Okay. And then she throws in this 1980 thing, which it, it threw me a bit. It's like, why, why is she suddenly talking about the 80 when that's not where we are physically in time when this aired and apparently there is a reference at least one reference anyway in a future serial which tells that the brigadier retired from unit in 1976 i was just about to look that literally just about to look exactly that up and benton left the army in 1979 like i'm just looking at wikipedia so you know we're not gonna know this until we get into i think 83 by looks of it okay a real time yeah it, it just it just struck me as a, a weird thing to throw it because it I, it would sound like if they didn't have that mention in this serial, that there wouldn't be a problem. If if they didn't mention in this serial that Sarah Jane was from 1980, everything would proceed as if every episode of Doctor Who was set when it aired. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, but for some reason, they decided in the serial to say that she's from 1980. And they jumped to 1980 to see... They do, they do a Back to the Future <laughs> trick of going into the future and seeing how bastardized the timeline has become yeah which i also which also does not make sense by the way never seen that in doctor who before no it's like oh well so let's go forward in time to what must therefore be inevitable 
and see exactly how terrible the world is. Now let's go back again and see if we can change that. But but you've already been further ahead yeah. of that. Like, it's like he's going to a parallel timeline or a parallel universe to see what the world would be like if Sutek is allowed to Thanos all over the place. But no, it makes no sense, and it's never been done before. You're right, it is not done before. The, sorry, the only other time that they do something like that, I think, is when they deliberately go to a parallel timeline. The, like the Cybermen, let's go to a parallel universe where the Cybermen tech exists or they have invaded, yeah. etc. Yeah, that, that really struck me as not the way, like, time travel in Doctor Who is always a bit difficult because time travel is difficult. It's sure. a hard concept. Yeah. I'm never going to fully understand it. The writers aren't ever going to fully understand it. But there's still a, a there's, conception of how it works within the context of I think the there series. Is a, yeah. there's a general conception. Yeah. They, they get it wrong from time to time, but this seems like one of the worst ways to get it wrong. <laughs> really? Because the, they seem to make it quite... Certainly, again, I, I know more from kind of new Who ideas, but they seem to say, like, you can't, like, jump backwards and forwards in your own time stream and, and rewrite things. Like, you can't have a second go at doing doing things that you've already seen happen. And I don't know. It's, but it's not just that. It also seems to suggest that the, the person who has gone in and changed history is not the Doctor or Sarah Jane Smith. It's Sutek. Because they have previously been in 1980 and the world was not just Yeah, burning. no, that's very true. So then they go back in time and then when they go back to 1980, all of a sudden it is burning. So that suggests that either Sutek has changed history or the fact that they went back to 1976 caused Sutek to be able to burn 1980. Which would be exactly Back to the Future. Exactly, yes, exactly. But then what do they, what do they do that makes it that Sutek could... I don't think they do anything. I, yeah. I don't think that that aspect of the story has been thought through. No, you're right. That's a bigger plot hole than I even, I even dared realise. The fact that they're saying Sutek has changed something. Or something has changed so that Sutek could destroy the future. I mean, they don't say that, but I think that's the only logical yeah. interpretation of it. Unless the doc is just being a bastard at this point. He's actually um, taking her to, like, oh, <laughs> Venus. Yeah. <laughs> Which he, he is a bit weird in this episode. Or, let's face it, present day Slough. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone in Slough. <laughs> mm. maybe, maybe rewrite. Maybe retro rewrite. That's what he was doing. Yeah. He's not, he's not fucking around with time. Sutek isn't really going to win. <laughs> He but to ju- motivate, he just yeah. had a quick trip to Slough. Yeah, to, to motivate Sarah Jane Smith. Yeah. <laughs> Either that, or in the in our next Who Back When audiobook, we write in some wibbly wobbly that mixes up the late seventies a little bit. Like just creates, it maybe makes someone retire before they've had a job. <laughs> <laughs> Sidestep. How do you feel about the mummies? I was very confused by them at the start. Okay. My my note was that they look more like golems. Oh yeah, golems did definitely spring to mind for me as well. But then I kind of brushed that aside. It's like what well, they are, the, what they are, and yeah. what they are is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm so glad you think so. They they performed incredibly well. I I always felt, and I have no idea why they are so buxom. <laughs> But it's a really interesting design, like having having this box of a chest with like a a curve taken out of it, and I don't know, it's it's just really interesting. Also, the head, which has two semicircles cut out to sort sort of form a nose in the middle or a bridge yeah, yeah. in the middle. They're they're very stylized. They are. 
I, I probably wouldn't have said they were mummies. If, if it was taken out of context, I probably would have just said golem or robot. Yeah, wearing oven mittens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit weird in the context that they're meant to be, like, confused with mummies, but... There was a moment when I also thought golems, and that was me misremembering something, because when you see them from the back, they have what looks like a ruby stuck to their back, and I thought, "Ah, okay, wait, hang on, we're going to take off that ruby, and that somehow controls them, so like, if you take it off, that's maybe a power source, or what have you. And But it it has no function other than being, you know, aesthetically pleasing to the eye. Yeah, which... I think I, I looked at that and I thought, oh, this might be the thing that Doc and Sarah Jane don't do very well on their dress up. It's like they're going to miss a little detail. And then, and then oh. Doc, as the robot mummy, turns around and he has, has the same crystal in the exact same spot. And I was, I was a little pissed off then because it's like, <laughs> no. Like, <laughs> when, you, when you unravel the, mu- the mummy robot, you yeah. see that it's got a mechanical skeleton weird thing. But it's basically hollow. Yeah, it's hollow, but you know, obviously the wraps are around a frame. Yeah. Which which does mimic a, a more solid structure. That's true. Um and it's like you've you've undone the robot and yet you somehow managed to turn the doctor into an exact replica <laughs> of it. <Yeah. laughs> and I, I don't know. It was just too good. I want it to be a little bit naff. Of, yeah, like, I agree. Where maybe Marcus Garman is looking at it and going, hmm, ah. is that, it's behaving a bit odd. And, uh, oh yeah, that's a bit of a dodgy binding around there, you know. Yeah, that's true. You're but right. But lets it slide anyway, you know. In that scene as well, Scarman goes, oh wait, hang on, are you broken? Like, is your sensor or is your central processing unit, is it broken? Yeah. No? Okay, I'll take your word for it. Take this box, which <laughs> yeah. is incredibly important, and put it inside the pyramid missile. <laughs> yeah, all right, boss, I'll do that. <laughs> what if he were broken? What if he were a broken mummy and he drops it? <laughs> yeah. Are you a stupid fuckwit? No. Okay, okay then. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I have the answer for why they are so buxom. Oh, okay. All the better to smush the poacher. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Where the fuck did that poacher come from? Just one scene, there's suddenly him walking into invisible walls in a forest in massive comedy form. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh, right. And shortly thereafter, he is just, I mean, when he is wedged between the two mummies, that, yeah. that brought back incredible memories for me as a kid. I remember that scene. Yeah. It's incredible. You're just thinking, mu- this, is, this is how I want to go. <laughs> Smash between breasts. <laughs> A, duh, <laughs> duh doy, uh, and B, they are incredibly strong. One of them would be enough to just, I mean, one of them could punch him or yeah. or grab him or whatever, break his neck, but instead they coordinate to slowly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just sadism on the highest level. I love it. I think one of the best mummy moments, so mm-hmm. that aside, because that was, that was gold. Yeah. <laughs> was I, I guess it must be just before that because it, it's obviously the poacher is there it's when the mummy gets caught in the bear trap and oh yes the prelude to it is just this weird kind of clomping noise yeah clomp, clomp. and then you just, just see this mummy just caught in a loop really of yeah. just like foot in trap clump clump can't walk with foot in trap <laughs> clump clump foot but then in somehow trap. he gets out of that loop yeah undoes the trap 
walks off or clumps off. And that felt, I mean, that added incredible tension later on for me because I was expecting the doc or Sarah Jane to just narrowly, uh, narrowly miss stepping onto oh. either that or a bear trap. Yeah. I, I hadn't actually got a thought about that, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, hang on. Sorry, I'm going to have to jump to the doctor for a second. Is it just me or is he a bit of an asshole in this one? I think he is. I think he's he's really grumpy. He's grumpy and rude. He's rude not nice as. to Sarah Jane. No. Only at the end do they sort of get along. But he says some really terrible stuff. I don't think I've actually made a lot of notes. I remember... Well, I noted it down as a comedy thing, actually, in the first episode, where Sarah Jane thinks she saw a mummy. says, I saw a mummy. And Doc says, well, never mind about that now. Like, he's, he's very dismissive. But I think it's kind of played off in a comedy way. Yeah. But I think there are, there are just lots of little things, aren't there? And I, One quote I just wrote down for part three. Are you going to help me, or are you, going, or are you just going to stand there and admire the scenery? <laughs> and he, he says it in not a very comedic fashion. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't deliver his snark to Sarah Jane in the form of bants. You know, it's not banter. It is a feeling of superiority. Yeah. Or it seems like it anyway. And I, th- I think the other thing as well is that I think Sarah Jane is, for some reason, written to be quite playful in this episode. Yeah. Well, serial. So I got a note in episode three where they, they discovered this explosive jelly. Oh, well, yes. And she literally throws it to the dock and he's just like horrified about like one sneeze could, have, could set it off. And <laughs> I don't know, it's talking about how the poacher didn't have any stuff to detonate it. And Sarah Jane's joking, like, oh, perhaps he sneezed. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's just no reaction from a doctor at all. And, like, she's being really playful with, with things. Yeah. And he's just being a grumpy arsehole. <laughs> that feels like direction to me. Cause, yeah. Because Tom Baker was very different in previous serials. No, definitely. And those two have fantastic chemistry and incredible bands. But in this one, yeah, he's just, yeah. I just don't understand why, really. Like, if anything, you could reverse it. And it would make more sense. Like there isn't a reason for Sarah Jane to be grumpy, but that's we've seen a more playful side of the Doctor before. Yeah, I don't know if we've seen a playful side of Sarah Jane that often. Like it would have possibly made more sense the other way around, and she's just not quite getting his weird eccentricities. It, yeah, but this way round, yeah, it it makes him look really bad. Whereas the other way around, it it wouldn't have made her look really bad. I, I agree. So I I watched this one with Miriam. And uh, admittedly, as I mentioned before we press record, she slept through about half of it <laughs> on and off. But I'm pretty sure this was her first experience of Tom Baker as as the fourth doctor. Yeah. Uh, or of Tom Baker in general, I guess. And on a number of occasions, I felt the need to sort of defend him to Miriam and just go like, he normally isn't like this. Like, he is normally a really nice guy. Yeah. And I I know I've told you over the course of years how I love Tom Baker and how his doctor is my favorite doctor from when I was a kid. This is, this is not representative of that, you know. And, yeah, further cementing the fact this stands out as an unpleasant characterization of that, of, of the, that Time Lord. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what they were aiming for. Hmm. Either it was this and they got it right and we just don't understand it, or yeah, something sure. something just didn't play right. And yeah, because there's another like absolutely horrendous scene where Lawrence Scarman, who we haven't talked about yet, I don't think, but the the brother of Marcus who is zombified yeah. very early on, who gets the raw end of a stick with the Doctor a lot, I think. 
He's the one that's invented a thing 40 years before it should have been invented. Yeah. You would think would be kind of the the character is quite often in these serials to be on the same level as the Doctor and kind of... He, he should be the Professor Bumbletron. Yeah. He and the Doctor should constantly just be doing technobabble ping pong. Exactly. But the Doctor seems to hate him from the almost the get-go. I think there's a little bit of warmth at the start, but he's very dismissive of him quite quickly. Yeah. And he doesn't get to do anything clever, really. He invents this machine, but then uses it preemptively. Yeah, which the Doctor never forgives him for. Just Correct. Thinks it's like the worst mistake ever. Yeah. Which, it didn't really seem that bad a mistake in the context. Also, this dude has just lost his brother. Yeah. And the Doctor keeps reminding him that his brother is a zombie. He's just like, oh, he's just a walking corpse. Like, he is not your brother. He is just dead flesh. Which is... Dude, it's true, but like, fucking tone it down, Doc. <laughs> well, but then it's proven not to be true because he has yeah. a conversation with him yeah. where he <laughs> almost he almost revised to his old self. Oh, you're so right. I didn't consider that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so the Doctor is just way off the mark in general. But the Doctor doesn't know that that conversation ever took place. No, so in no. his mind, he's like, yeah, yeah, I totally show that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then, after all of that shit's happened, mm-hmm. Lawrence gets killed. Yeah. Doc and Sarah Jane go into the room where his dead body's lying. And yeah. the Doc literally just shoves, shoves his him. body aside. <laughs> Miriam was awake for that bit and just went like, Did you see what he just did? <laughs> and Sarah Jane doesn't have it. So she's like, what the fuck are you doing? Nope. Um, <laughs> which is good. But like this is, this is the point where it finally became too much. And I, I wrote a note. It's like, why is Doc so grumpy and mistreating Sarah Jane? And yeah. Like, and everyone. I'm being oh, disrespectful everyone, but, yeah. to the dead. <laughs> it's just... It's just really weird how he behaves during this. Sarah Jane, meanwhile, is... So you already mentioned she's written to be quite playful. She's also written to be badass and brave to the point of negating the doctor's assumption of her capacity. So he basically wants her to stand in one corner and do anything. Like, if you think you can do this, then try. At least give it a go. <laughs> yeah. Whereas she's like, oh, no, no, give me that rifle. Ka-ching. I'm going to... I'm going to... Pop a cap in that bomb. Yeah. From X miles away. She faces almost certain death up on Mars. Yes, she's pretty badass at this. She really is. You get moments, I think, when the companions are sat just kind of absorbing whatever the Doctor is doing at that time. And they're just there to be told to do stuff. Yeah. And you get moments like this where the companion steps up and isn't necessarily what the Doctor wants to happen. But is always there saying, you know what? I'm here too. Yeah. Like, you brought me along for a reason. I'm giving you that reason here. I also think they added a little bit more know-how to her. A bit more... She, they made her a bit more savvy. So previously, she's been... I mean, she's been clever and she's had agency. She's been the investigative journalist. Yeah. But in this one, all of a sudden, she knows about history. She knows about Egyptian mythology. I mean, like, she drops a few... She, like, name-checks a few Egyptian gods. Yeah, that's true, actually. And the doc's kind of impressed by that. Yeah. I like that. I, I like that they're expanding her character to be this, oh, wow, yeah, yeah, make her super clever and very knowledgeable. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't know if we had any previous hint that she could use a gun. Oh, I don't think so. No. I mean, if anything, quite the opposite. Like, if she's, when she's been placed in a dangerous situation, she's been the damsel in distress. She needed rescuing by Harry, basically. Yeah. I think. Now there's no more Harry. Maybe that's it. Maybe the idea was, okay, so the Doctor has one companion who is in distress and another companion who is the Alpha 
and gung-ho and picks up guns and stuff. And that was always Harry. Harry picked up guns. Now they've, instead of having two separate companions, they have one single companion, but they still need to represent both aspects, both personae. So it should just interchange. Yeah, maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't really know how I feel about companions being quite willing to pick up weaponry because we often get the Doctor at some point or another saying how anti-weaponry he does in he, this one as well. Yeah. No, it, it, yeah, That's a right, great actually. scene, in fact. I mean, the, is it Lawrence? Lawrence Scarman? He yeah. goes, like, shall I bring a gun? And the doc goes, oh, I hate guns, and just storms out. And Sarah Jane's like, yeah, yeah, bring the gun. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great scene. <laughs> Which we, we do get quite a lot, I think, in New Who, in certain periods, where you get all his human companions like coming to Tenant's aid, is it? And I don't know, I forget what, forget what he tells, but quite often people are, are literally taking up arms to help the Doctor. And it, it's always a bit of a grey area. There are positives and negatives every single time they do it. Yeah. Which I don't know if we really got in this. Like, I don't think so either. I think it's all positive. I mean, it's really good that she has a gun. It doesn't work. Yeah. Well, no, it does. Oh, like, oh, sorry, it does. It does afterwards. Yes, she she is an absolute crack shot. Oh, yeah, definitely. She sets off that explosion. It's just Sutek is... It gets time-locked in some way. Well, he um can, he just somehow... Telekinetically, presumably. Telekinetically like, keeps it from exploding. Yeah. And then the dog come, pops up and distracts him, and he's like, <laughs> that, oh, is the, <laughs> that is the best when he breaks his Sutek's concentration. It's like, hey, Sutek, over here. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever he says. It's basically something like that. <laughs> Like, bing bong. <laughs> Sutek. <laughs> like, pigeon double take. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I haven't got to know what he says, but yeah, it, it's really something along the lines of, hi, Sutek. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, huh? <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and what a lovely explosion miniature as well. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. It's a miniature superimposed on, I think, just a photo of the estate. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's really, really nicely done. I think that they're getting good at just really simple effects, but done well. Um, yeah. Like, you know, obviously for the time, but... Speaking of effects, how do you how do you feel about the funky psychedelic Stargate? I think I super loved it. It's amazing, right? <laughs> uh, inside the sarcophagus. Yeah. Yeah, the, the way that objects and even people would slowly grow through it, and I thought, oh, I thought it was nice, yeah. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> What we also get of the Doctor in this serial is him being fairly reckless with his own life again. Oh, yes, that's true. He is effectively ready to sacrifice himself. Yeah, like he he goes off to the prison where Sutek is without really much of a plan. He's literally gone there to distract him, I, I think. At this point, it's like, well, we need that bomb to yeah. explode so the rocket won't launch, so Sutek won't be free, so I'm going to go distract him. And he just jumps through the portal and... It's only because Sutek wants a plaything and then realizes that he might be able to escape in a different way after he has got distracted by using the TARDIS that he keeps the Doctor alive. Like, he literally could have killed him with a thought. Yeah. Like, I don't think the Doctor had a plan. He's just been very reckless. Yeah, I agree. Do you think it's odd that the Doctor didn't foresee the fact that Sutek might use his TARDIS? I guess it's fairly odd, (laughs) given that... It's probably the most powerful thing Sutek's come across in his entire imprisonment. When Sutek takes over Doc's mind, did you think he's just playing? Or how long did it take until you thought, no, he's just pretending? I'm not entirely convinced that he was just pretending. Was, Wait, is, was he is, not? I don't know. Is that 
Because when they're in the TARDIS, it definitely seems like he is pretending. Wait, how else does he get out of it? He ends up getting strangled, doesn't he? Um, but he says that his binary respiratory system kept him alive. Yeah. And I'm sure... Which, wait, I'm, by the way, does he have... Wait, so he has two hearts. I don't, does he oh, have two sets of lungs? I don't know. Maybe he doesn't say binary, but he says something about his respiratory system, yeah. doesn't he? I don't yeah, know. yeah, no, no, I think yeah. you're right. And I, I'm pretty sure at that same point where he he comes round again, he says that Sutek let him go or, or oh, something. because he thought that he was dead. Yeah. Oh. So he released control of him. Like, that, I'm sure that he says it like he wasn't faking. Oh, I see. I don't know. Okay, so, well, that's... Oh, that's really interesting. Although my note says, how's the dot gun spy being strangled? Oh, some mumbo jumbo. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> okay, so we, we've had a kind of whistle-stop tour through most of it. Yeah. Then we get to this slightly convoluted, weird section of puzzle-solving rooms. I like that. I like the like the gauntlet of Fort Boyard, where, <laughs> like room after room just has like the same psychedelic walls because they've just learned how to rotoscope a oh, particular yeah. color, and then one the far wall which has a door and a puzzle. <laughs> I love that. It's great. And we get to, we get to the riddle, the riddle which I have mentioned at least off air. I don't know, maybe even on the podcast. And I apologize for any duplication, but. Certainly that one riddle, the, the twin guards of Horus, not yeah. that I remember that that's, that was their designation, but the fact that we had that riddle, if throughout this entire series, we're like, when is this riddle coming? When is this riddle coming? When is this riddle coming? Oh, wait, we're going down a gauntlet of, <laughs> of like mind puzzles. <laughs> the riddle is coming. <laughs> and it was almost exactly as was- I remembered as well. I'm so pleased. So pleased. Like it's a nice little riddle. I lo- I love it when it comes up in um, the film Labyrinth. You get you be- oh. basically the same thing. You know what? I haven't seen it. What? I know. I know. You know what? I'm just going to drown my sorrows in this vodka. I apologize. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I I don't know if if it's okay watching it as an adult when you're not seen it as a kid. Oh really? I don't know if. It oh what? Holds, so wait. Holds, so is yeah. it the exact same riddle? Yeah. Lit- literally, there is a, a truth teller and a false teller, and you need to get a bit of information out of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, so that's one puzzle. Yeah. How many puzzles do we get actually? Is it just two? That's a, that's a really good puzzle. That yeah. we have the first one that we ha- that's the last one. The first one that we have is the no this isn't the real button. That's the real button. Oh yeah. Which I don't think the doctor had any way of really realizing that that was a puzzle. No, he's just like oh, wait, this is too obvious. I think what he go says is or what he's thinking is something like wait why is there no puzzle? There must be a puzzle. That can't be a button. But he says something like... It's too obvious. I think Sarah Jane says, what, like a handle on a door? Like, why wouldn't you have a handle? And he says, well, not for a prison. Oh, yeah. It's like, of course you fucking have handles on doors in prisons. <laughs> yeah. You just have them on one side only. <laughs> <laughs> also, this is not the prison. This is like the mainframe that controls the CCTV. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, there's some guard inside going, dude, where's my handle gone? Yeah. Holy shit, my shift's over, buddy. <laughs> it's been 5,000 years. My wife's going to start wondering where I am. Yeah. Hey, Greg, get a load of this handle-free door. <laughs> Greg's there, like, unfurling his bandages. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't get how the doctor was meant to go. That, yeah, oh, that, that 
handily placed buttons to open the door that is <laughs> right next to it. Oh, that must be a trap. Okay, you know what? First of all, I thought there was still some mileage left in Greg and his colleague, <laughs> the, two, <laughs> the two mummies working as guards in this prison. I'm sorry to cut you off short. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. <laughs> they might make a return later on. <laughs> Let me guess, one of them was one day from a retirement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talk about working overtime, Greg. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Yeah, you were saying? <laughs> yeah, the the button. I really like the other button, though. The fact that there's a little spinny mechanism and there's a button hidden behind it. Yeah. I like that the doctor got out. I'm not quite sure what he got out, but he, he got out something to test that the buttons were not what they appeared to be. Okay, he, so- he like prodded the fake button and got a charge off it or something. Is that right? Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, because I thought that he pressed the real button, as in that he finds the spinny thing, he presses that button, it opens, and then afterwards we see him with this metal rod, whatever it is, like a fishing rod or something, and he tests the fake button and he gets an electric shock. But at that point, it's like, haven't you already figured out what the real button is? You've opened the door. I think I actually did think the same thing, and... I was writing a note and then kind of looked back up again and he was still stood in front of the door. I was like, oh, he didn't up it, open it. Maybe he, he didn't did, press the door. He did open it, but he didn't go through it? Or did I he go through it not. and there are like two rooms with identical <laughs> puzzles? I, I think this might be another example of a doctor being a really big dick and just going to Sarah Jane. <laughs> Look, that opened the door, but I'm going to doubly prove it. Look, this would have fucking killed me. <laughs> I get that the fate of the universe, like I get that the universe is at stake here, but I don't think I've shown, I've clearly demonstrated how big my balls are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Look, look, this button OP door, <laughs> this button killy me. <laughs> you don't understand, you have one set of lungs. <laughs> this guy gets it, you get it, right, Greg? <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> okay, here's another beef that I have with the door, actually. Wait, another beef? I loved the door, but I, I do have a beef with that. And that is that I think we have three different sets of doors. Not counting the ones with other puzzles on the walls, but like other three doors that are just, they have a mechanism for opening them without having to do something clever. Okay. And two of them involve, we don't see the doctor doing it necessarily, maybe we see him once, but we see Scarman on two occasions performing a different ritual in front of the doors. Like Sutek will say, now show the sign of the Eye of Horus. And he does that. And that is the key. That opens the door. Yeah. And the very first... In fact, when they step out of the TARDIS, that's the first door. He has to, like, bow to it and gesture in a particular way. And that is what opens the door. Isn't that way more secure than having a fake button that electrocutes you unless you're carrying a fishing rod? <laughs> I I guess so. It also, it, it's it's like a password, in- I suppose. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they they seem incongruent in a way. This is an Egyptian-themed prison. Every question is in some way Egyptian-themed, except this one that just has a fake electrocution button. Don't you know that the the Egyptians invented the the joke buzzer? Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, pleased to meet you. (laughs) (laughs) So, I can't remember, does... Does the Doctor and Sarah Jane, do they go through those first two doors doing signals? Or are they just open? No, I think the first one, Doc also bows down. Okay. And they go through it. The second one, 
as in the second The Eye of Horus one, that I don't think they have to go through it. I think Skarman goes through it. He actually gets the... Is it the Eye of Horus? Whatever the... Oh, is it just the... That's the very last one. Yeah, he basically wins. And then we get that seriously incredible plot twist of there's the time factor. Ooh. (laughs) Which is so... I loved it. I mean, I'm not being ironic here. I think that's incredibly clever. I don't know. Part of me was like this incredible advanced race that could do all this weird shit and they're still the only thing they have is radio waves <laughs> to get from Mars to Earth. I was like, well, I guess they've established that earlier in the series. I'm but. fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> totally fine with like, it. <laughs> literally, we have a god sat in a room projecting his mind across planets to control people. But you have to wait two minutes to get, to get a signal to be released. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, but there's like a, the best uh, lift music while you wait. <laughs> there's like a Burt Bacharach while you wait. <laughs> anyway, back to the puzzle shit. Oh, yeah, yeah, let's do that. So, <laughs> what the hell is the next thing? <laughs> there are two weird shaped blocks on different walls either side of a door oh yeah and i'm pretty sure the way i've forgotten his name sutek oh yeah yeah set satan whoever you want to call him yeah because apparently he is satan as well i don't know i think the the same character is meant to feed the same yeah maybe let's put a pin on that and let's discuss that afterwards i can't remember how he describes it when he's guiding marcus through but it sounded very different to the way the doctor then comes across it and is measuring stuff with his scarf Doc is measuring stuff, you're right. One of them, I can't remember, I think maybe Sutek says something... Oh, no, maybe the Doctor says, like, step away from those panels on the floor. There seems to be some sort of correlation between what's on the wall and what where you stand on the floor. Oh, I think that's the Sutek. Oh, is that Sutek? Okay. But, yeah. And then also, there are two different... Like, on either side of the door, there are, there's a, a set of matrices, and it seems... Possibly as though you are meant to find, like, spot the odd one out, basically. Like, there's a logical pattern yeah. uh, of, like, a logical progression of matrices on either side, but in one case, it doesn't necessarily match the same rule that applies on the other side. Either way, they, like, Sudek never measures shit. No, it, it just, it really bothered me that, A, there didn't seem to be enough information to understand it as a viewer. Okay. Unless I was just really stupid, which is quite possible. Like, on top of that, it didn't seem like there was enough information to link the two puzzle solvers, like, for it to be the same puzzle. I think that's I what know. bothers me. The, yeah. the fact that there are it, two sets of pictographic progressions, completely fine. That's, that's okay. You look at them long enough and you'll figure out how they progress and what the next step would be. But the fact that the two groups solve them completely differently, that bothers me. Yeah. It bothers me that it's not a big scene in the grand no. scheme of things, but at least with the the truth teller and the false teller, you don't get a lot of time to come up with your own solution, but you can come up with your own solution because you're yeah. given the entirety of the information you need to solve that puzzle. Yeah. Whereas the other one, you get a a vague glimpse of some patterns on a wall and then some random gobbledygook from one set of people and some yeah. different gobbledygook from another set of people <laughs> and then suddenly a door is open and it's just I don't know it's it's not great television it's not it's not an interesting thing to watch it doesn't make you feel like these people are super intelligent beings 
who are understanding something that you couldn't ever understand. It just feels like you haven't seen what they've seen. Yeah, agreed. Here's another thing as well. On, on a, like, a fundamental, on an ideological level, and on a political level, I don't feel that the key to the prison should be based on intellect. Like, I don't feel like you should, anyone who is clever enough should be able to unlock this prison. No, very true. It should be, you know, X has imprisoned Y, only X and anyone who pertains to X should have the right to open the gates, i.e. all of those people, everyone pertaining to X should have the key. Basta. But here it seems as like, eh, it doesn't matter if you're good, if you're bad, if you're evil, if you're guilty, if you're innocent, if you're clever enough, you can do this. Yeah, true. And that's... That goes against... That's not a prison. No. I think in, in a lot of respects, verging on the political here, but... Yeah. I would probably take intelligence as a key over just power, but... Sure, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's I true. totally agree that it's not a good key. That's that's true. But it, it, you, you would think that maybe ethics should be a better key. Yeah. You know, it, I, I, I love that there are uh, puzzle-solving things, but it's, it's almost as though... Oh, now I'm not, I'm not sure what I'm thinking of. It may not even be Doctor Who, but something where we're like, you know what, I'm setting all these puzzles. Oh, Jesus, I feel so bad for saying this. I was thinking of Prometheus. So where like an alien race sets a bunch of riddles and they think, you know what, when mankind is clever enough to solve this puzzle, that's when we know to, spoilers for Prometheus, like melt shit and go and kill human, humankind. Oh, spoiled. Who cares? (laughs) Uh, But in in this one, it seems like, oh, well, when anyone is intelligent enough, potentially when mankind is intelligent enough, they can unlock this ultimate evil. If anything, there should be a handle on the inside for Sutek to open, but it can only be opened if he suddenly, you know, if he reforms, if he is rehabilitated if he is good. So there's an ethical component, and the goodness of the Doctor might be what fixes it. Yeah. Or Sarah Jane Smith. Anyone as opposed to Scarman, is what I'm thinking. Yeah. No, that's fair. Ugh. I guess... Uh, no, no, I'm not going to defend it. I was going to say, it, it, this is a two-part prison, because it's only the uncovering of the tomb in Egypt, where yes. he is physically imprisoned. That's true. That makes this possible in the first place, for some reason. Also true. Um, which is not dwelt on in the slightest, actually, how just literally opening up the... And he's just there, by the, the chamber way. that he's in. He's just sitting inside a pyramid. Yeah. So this is a race of aliens from an entirely different solar system. They're from Osiris. Right. Who at some point, this may be a time to return to your pit. They've visited Earth, and they were, my understanding is, they were sort of mistaken for gods by the ancient Egyptians. Yeah. But they are, in fact, aliens from Osiris. Yeah. You mentioned before, this is the pin, you mentioned before, is he actually also Satan? Is he actually also all these other figures? I think we've had that before on Doctor Who. I think we've had a whole bunch of different aliens who have shown up on Earth and who were mistaken for gods... In fact, we had, uh, oh, damn it, what's it called? Uh, the Daemons. Well, we have a dude who looks like a straight-up cartoon devil, and he is of the race called Daemons, who came to Earth, were mistaken for demons. He was mistaken for the devil. In you, we have the Satan pit. Here we have the Egyptian equivalent. I, I don't know, I feel like there's a possibly an unhealthy amount of overlap between all these origin stories. Yeah, I think you're right, because I... 
I think I took it at face value in the episode that it was part of Egyptian mythology, and like if you if you cross Egyptian mythology with Christian origins, yeah, like you can you can pull some overlap and say that yes, what they worshipped as Set Sutek is the same kind of thing as Satan. Like there's always this evil entity. I think actually I can kind of picture Tenant saying as much in Satan the pit. Satan pit. Yeah, I think like you're there, right. There's always something representing this embodiment of evil. Um, but I'm I'm on the Wikipedia page for Set. Oh, okay. And there is no mention of Satan or the devil. Oh, okay. So I think maybe I think maybe you're right. This is a this is a Doctor Whoism to try and cross it over and bring it. I guess into something that people would understand more. Like I think a lot of people have a passing knowledge of Egyptian mythology, but maybe not enough to give it the gravitas they wanted. So that that's why they throw in just because I think it's, it is just a throwaway reference in maybe one or two instances where the Doctor kind of equates it to Satan. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Even if we disregard all, all the other religions, all the other cultures, let's say these aliens, these Assyrians or Sirens, I, I, this was part of the trivia on Todd's Wikia, by the way, depending on where you go or what you listen to or what you watch, they will be referred to either as Assyrians or Sirens. Oh, right. No one seems to be able to agree on this, but let's say they only inspired Egyptian mythology and Egyptian culture. So we have the pyramid-shaped missile. Yes. That would then be the inspiration for building the pyramids. They just super loved those pyramids. Fine. Now, let's chicken and the egg the mummy robots. Oh, okay. Did they build robots, <laughs> wrap them in gauze? The ancient Egyptians saw this and went, oh, you know what? That's a super cool thing to do with dead people. <laughs> or did the ancient Egyptians do that as part of the whole embalming process? And these aliens saw that and were like, hmm, let's culturally appropriate that. <laughs> Make our robots look like those. There is a fairly throwaway line again. I think the doctor's talking about the wrappings, saying that they are a protective layer. Like there's something to do with those wrappings that it's is... literally gauze. It's no, like the it, least technological thing. It is meant to be something beyond that. I don't think he elaborates in a lot of detail. Okay. I think it's just, yeah, they are protective. <laughs> And it's said in a way that you're like, okay, so that's not just fabric. Okay. But I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> Dialing back a little bit. Let's do just, that. Just to get in a comedy point. Okay. I, I don't want to brush over this comedy point. Mm -hmm. So in the puzzle, multiple puzzle room setup. Yeah. I think it's possibly just after Sarah Jane and the doc have done the hidden doorknob yeah. thing. They literally walk into the next room. The mummy starts to turn around and look at them, and in one motion, without breaking step, they walk back out of the oh, room. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> Had me thinking as a Simpsons episode where Bart ends up working in a brothel. Oh, really? Because he broke something. And <laughs> I don't know. And at one point, he just walks into a room and then back out again? No, his grandpa does. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> He kind of he walks into the brothel, sees Bart there, immediately turns, immediately around. turns around and walks out again. Oh, so good. Yeah. <laughs> I've got two more points, actually, about the puzzles, if we're returning to that. Okay. One is, Sarah says uh, the whole puzzle gauntlet reminds her of the city of Exelons. Oh, yeah. That's uh, death to the Daleks, death of the Daleks, death to the Daleks. 
The one with the the little dude who the dog buddies up to for ages. Yeah, the Exelon champ. Yeah. Yeah, which... Hey, Michael Ridgway. <laughs> I think maybe you're right. Maybe we were a little bit harsh on that one. Uh-huh. I, I want to rewatch that because when she said that, I had like sudden fond memories of that episode. Yeah. Uh, okay, so yeah, th- that's that's one point. So we have her mention of that just tying these two serials together a little bit, which I quite like. And And the second thing is that the twin gods of Horus scene... Was there any part of you, sorry, this is completely un- unnecessary mentioning this, but like, was there any part of you that wanted the Doctor to just ask something completely different? Like something completely unrelated and just dickishly leave it completely up to chance whether Sarah <laughs> survives or not? Like, you can ask one question, do I look fat in these pants? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think there was, but maybe that's because I'm not imaginative enough. Oh. Um, <laughs> That that whole thing, I, I don't know. It was it was so quick, and the tube just came out of nowhere, and suddenly Sarah Jane's in peril, and it's just like, what the freaking hell's going on? All oh, right, and now oh, this is the truth teller puzzle. Oh. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> like, I loved it. Yeah. Staying in episode four or part four, before they even get there, before the Doctor is zombified, we get a little bit of an interlocution between the Doctor and Sutek where mm. the Doctor says that he renounced the Society of Time Lords. Yes, I may have noticed this as well. Is this the first time we're saying that he turned his back on Gallifrey? I guess. Like it, it's just not for him. I mean, we, we've had Time Lords before who have shown up, and it just seems as though the Doctor and, and the Time Lords, they don't mesh. Ideologically, they don't mesh. Yeah. And I guess we have, I mean, we know that the Doctor stole the TARDIS. Yeah. Pertwee was confined to Earth by the Time Lords. Yeah, but, that, but and that was as penance for what he did as Troughton, right? Basically, yeah. So I mean, we, we know that he and the Time Lord, he and his race clash. But this is possibly the first time that he just outright says it. Yeah, which is quite a powerful moment, I feel. But not really given its dues. No, not really. I mean, we we hard cut from that to give me the binary location of your planet in space. Binary <laughs> location in space. Oh, yeah, yeah. One, zero, one, one, zero. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I know it well. <laughs> I know it well. Wait, I'll still look it up anyway. I knew it. I knew what it was. I'm going to look it up anyway. <laughs> That's exactly what he does. It's so good. <laughs> So <laughs> when he goes so to screen... So that means you're a... T- 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 time Lord. Time Lord, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I knew <laughs> <So> that. <laughs> trying every conceivable syllable. You're a bug... I love that. I love that his screen shows the image of a different screen, which in turn shows some stupid letters or whatever, which are meant to be a... Like the Wikipedia, the compressed Wikipedia equivalent of his binary code. Which is like an LCD display with eight lines on it. Yeah, but it's like, I mean, someone has filmed an LCD display, projected it onto a screen, which he is watching, and we are watching that recording. (laughs) (laughs) Sutek, though, is pretty fucking awesome. He's incredible. The, The voice actor, well, presumably the guy in the suit as well, we we looked him up. This is... Gabriel Wolf, isn't it? Yeah, that, that's, that's right. Yeah. He doesn't seem to have done a massive amount. No. As an actor, but I thought his portrayal was incredible. His delivery, 
like he's super evil. Yeah, but super eloquent. <laughs> Very much so. And Sutek, the character, never returns on television. At least not yet. Appears in one or two novels, and then in at least one audiobook. So I had a chat with JD of former of audiobook review co-host fame. Hi, JD. Hello, JD. And JD mentioned that there's an audio... I can't remember the name of this audiobook now, but he mentioned that there's an audiobook where Sutek returns. Sutek and the Fourth Doctor meet up again, and they brought the same actor in to voice Sutek in that one as well. Oh, uh, cool. Which is, yeah, I think that's amazing. But isn't that... that that's such a waste. I mean, this, this character is incredible. Please bring him back. <laughs> yeah. I, I do have to be honest here, though. Okay. Because episode three... Mm-hmm. Right at the start, we get to see Sutek. And my note is, wasn't expecting to see Sutek so soon. Okay. Actually a bit of a letdown. Oh, because he looks a little bit too styrofoamy, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not the best costume. Like, the actor and some of the dialogue, particularly episode... Episode four, I think, probably as a standalone thing, is really amazing. Though. There's incredible things happening in that. We could probably talk about just episode four for an hour and a half. Yeah, probably, yeah. I feel like... <laughs> But yeah, I think there was something with the initial reveal. I, I, I generally was not expecting to see him that soon. We'd, we'd been getting the Egyptian guy under control of him. Then we get Marcus under control of him. There's still a lot of, I think at this point, kind of question of like what the motivation is, what the plan is, and all this kind of stuff. And suddenly it's just like, oh no, here he is. He's sat in a chair. He's wearing a weird black hat <laughs> slash mask. <laughs> black hat. Um, with some, <laughs> some red piping on it, uh, yeah. you know. Um, okay, that's Suzek. That's, that's the worst evil of the entire advanced the siren race. Oh, he looks okay. much less imposing and impressive than Mr. Smoky Hands. Exactly. Yeah. Smoky Hands looks incredible and is so underused. If anything, they could have had Smoky Hands for like, let's say, two and a half episodes. Two and a half episodes in, Smoky Hands gets yeah. whacked. As he dies, he, his helmet fades. We see the Assyrian face underneath. He's dead, so. Cut to episode four. Da, 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 reveal Sutek sitting down, boom, on his throne. Yeah. Yeah, much better. Maybe up until that point, only see him over the shoulder, like from behind. Yeah. Yeah, I could have done something like that. I was, I was thinking as well, actually, they could have possibly played with scale. Like, I don't know how... Well, accept, well established it is that, you know, the insides of most pyramids have a antechamber or something that's a normal room size or something. Yeah. But we're talking about alien tech, so maybe there can be some, you know, m- room to maneuver there. But why not have Sutek as this kind of giant figure? And yeah, the, like, when, when the doctor appears, like he's literally the size of his, you know, lower leg. So you're, yeah. So you're thinking like a Satan pit kind of scenario. Yeah, I guess it could be. I guess maybe. maybe not that extreme. But yeah, but it's the idea that he's a bit more imposing at, from scale, at least if not from like outward demeanor. Yeah, what's his face? Uh, gnarly face in uh, in the new Star Wars movies. Snoke. Snoke. Yes. Yeah. Snoke. 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 Yeah, because yeah, the first first time you see him in the in the films, he's a projection. Yeah, and, and I, he's enormous. And I generally thought it's. Have they introduced giants to the Star Wars universe? <laughs> you know. Slash, oh, please let him be absolutely tiny. <laughs> <laughs> I think they could have done something like that, but it, yeah. was, it was a little bit... Maybe they didn't know what they had with this protagonist. That's why he hasn't come back. That's why he wasn't revealed in the right way. I don't know. 
Okay, so not, not protagonist, sorry, oh, not protagonist. crap, I think I just thought of something else that they've missed out here. So he's stuck in Egypt, right? He's inside either a pyramid or like inside a tomb within uh, his, sorry, whatever, his burial chamber inside a pyramid yeah. or somewhere else hidden, buried. There is a burial chamber. Yeah. Right? Or his tomb. He's there. They've cut out this perfect rectangular door into the antechamber and but beyond the antechamber there is literally just like there is basically the egyptian tapestry i've got upstairs that like the the curtain effectively to his throne room scorman is now in england the handful of egyptian chaps who are the only people to survive this they've run away but there is a massive just there's just a doorway to his throne room he's exposed to the outside world does no one see him? Does no one else go into this tomb for no other reasons, for academic purposes, to explore, to see what hieroglyphs and treasures lurk therein? Yeah. You know, I, I hadn't actually kind of pieced that together in my head. Uh, You're right. Not until just now. Like, what the fuck, man? Because <laughs> I think I, I was focused on the bit before Scarman goes through into another room. There's like a tiny circle in... But in that the disappears. Door. Yeah, because later you're right. on when we see the doctor, he just pushes away the tapestry, and there's just a doorway. Yeah, but Scarman must be there as well because Scarman comes back through the portal, which is I mean, I, don't, I don't understand how. Oh yeah, um, the portal as well. Sutek manages to get this portal working, and so, I don't know. Another question for you, Mister Smoky Hands. Who's yeah. he? See, I'm convinced he's Scarman. For for some reason, he's he's projected in that form, and then he turns into. Scarman. I'm, I'm sure there is a, a morphing scene. There is a morphing scene. Between him and... But why is he wearing a I, much I cooler don't outfit know. beforehand? I don't know. You're right, he is Scarman. I was wrong before. I said before that we get to see him as an Assyrian, but I don't think we do, actually. I no, I think we do later on. I think we oh, do we in do. episode four. There's... No, a, that's a Sutek. Weird... Sutek we get to see as an Assyrian, but... I think we get to see both of them. Oh, really? Yeah, it was, it's, um... Oh, no, you're right, you're right. We get to see Skullman, who's, like, this Peter Cushing lookalike, fade <laughs> yeah. into Dogface. Yeah, because I'd been writing down Jackal, and I, I looked it up afterwards, actually, and apparently it is, there's a thing known as the set animal. Which na- is the... Jack- named, after, named after it, which apparently they are coming to the conclusion that it is not a real animal. Oh, right. So it, the fact that it looks weird is because it's not a real animal. It's it's only ever depicted in in ancient Egyptian hieroglyphs and, and stuff. Oh, interesting. Because I, was... I, I think there is a god that is a jackal. Yes, I, I think you're right. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be disrespectful in any way by saying dog face. <laughs> no, no. But it, I, I know what you mean. A, a human body, a man's body... And then the head of a jackal. Yeah. Right, yeah. Which I, th- I think maybe is a different one. Or maybe, maybe it is this, and, and in certain interpretations, it's just that that creature is the jackal. But yeah. it, it would seem that the set animal really isn't anything. It's, it's purely mythological. Which is why I'm giving them a massive pass in their paper mache <laughs> head making as just like, I don't know what the fact that is. It doesn't really look like a jackal. But that's fine, because <laughs> it probably isn't meant. I don't care. I love it. Yeah. I think it looks great. <laughs> But my, my note for the fact that Scarman turns into a jackal is instruction for Scarman. I'll just turn into a jackal and blow up this crystal, then die. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. I'm not quite sure why, but that's what happens. Yeah. He's no longer needed at that point, maybe. Yeah, I guess so. And my next note is 
because Sutek is now released. Yeah. From his, I can't think of the right word, but you know, he, he was physically locked before. Yeah, exactly. He couldn't, couldn't move. All of a sudden he's moving his hands. And now, he, now he can move. And he's, he starts saying, I can move again. I can, I can. Dance. I, I was expecting <laughs> sing. <laughs> I really thought he was going to say, I can sing. <laughs> Like it, it's more dramatic than like that would ever finish in that way. But I, it, was, it was just something about the I can, I can. Yeah, actually, yeah. It's in in a way, it's reminiscent of the uh, Monty Python um, lumberjack song. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> there's also a bit in um, the Holy Grail. I think there's there's this of of a family that's in a castle that's built on a swamp and yes the, and the sun like, shut it <laughs> sun always wants to be into singing and stuff yeah exactly like, cut that cut that yeah, no, yeah. No singing there. yeah the music starts swelling in the <laughs> yeah, background yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did it strike you as a little a bit of a kind of undoing of the entire serial that the way the doctor gets rid of sutek he could have done at literally any point i guess maybe sutek had to be free and want and come down. Yeah, I think so. I think he needs to be in the time tunnel. But he, he could have taken control of the situation. I suppose he could have freed Sutek and gone. Ah, I'm going to lure <laughs> you into this this time tunnel, and then trap you there. I guess so. It's very risky, though. Yeah, it just it just struck me as like everything's gone to shit. Like there was a plan. Everyone has died. Yeah, literally everyone has died. Oh, we didn't even talk about the other guy, the guy who owns or occupies the place in the beginning. He also died. What was his name? Ibrahim something? Oh, yeah. I thought he would be a massive part through this serial, because he's a big part of episode one, really, till halfway through and then gets killed. Yeah. <laughs> and he's playing dodgy organ music, and I was thinking, oh, we've had dodgy bagpipes, now we've had dodgy organs, what's next? <laughs> but yeah, he... He doesn't get a lot of a look in, really, does he? Not at all. And presumably, he it's thanks to him and his interest in Sutek that all of this happens at all. Yeah, I I'm not quite sure how to interpret his positioning in this story. So he... No, that's a super... Wait, hang on, let's dissect this. So we have Scarman, Marcus Scarman, who's just this really douchey imperialist explorer yeah. who barges into a tube and goes, Nya-ha! and inadvertently is zombified. Then we cut to, and for some reason, he is considered a more worthy disciple or zombie tool by Sutek than Ibrahim. Cut to, in the UK, Ibrahim has somehow just taken over this building... I, Which is Scarman's building. Scarman owns I it. I guess the only way it can be vaguely interpreted, in my mind at least, is that Scarman sends Ibrahim here. Like, he's... he's Ibrahim while he's is, still Scarman? No, whilst he's under control of... Ah, okay. Sutek. But is Ibrahim... Ibrahim is not under the control of Sutek, right? Ibrahim is just like... Not in the same way. An he's, acolyte of some yeah. sort. Yeah. So I, I guess maybe he's groomed and somewhat brainwashed in Egypt and is then sent over so his his brief to be there which he tells I think it's Warlock and the the butler guy who, who gets it quite early on as well I, can't, I don't even know if he has a name the, the, uh, I forgot about the butler guy yeah another yeah. dude who dies like Ibrahim says like he's there to basically look after the estate I think maybe that is actually true but uh, in addition to looking after the estate he he worships Sutek. Yeah, but I, I mean, like, 
the Skarman under the influence or kind of as Sutek has groomed Ibrahim, sent him from Egypt to be in this estate for some reason. I think all of the, it, it, that makes perfect sense, but all of that is, or, or rather, sorry, none of that is in any way even hinted at in this serial. Well, I kind of got the sense from the, the butler guy who's a little bit racist. Yeah. That, you know, he's, he's come from Egypt. He wears a fez. Yeah. And he is in a, I mean, in this priory. So it's a priory, first yes. of all. So you would not expect there to be any Egyptian anything in there. But, well, I took this to be thanks to slash because of Ibrahim. There are tons of Egyptian historical artifacts in this building, including one very clearly deliberately placed sarcophagus that also doubles as a stargate on a podium. Yeah. I assume that's Ibrahim who's brought all of this or all of these items there. Yeah, no, I mean, that's what I assume as well. I, I'm just assuming that he's done it on beh- behalf of um, Beset to Sutek. Okay. Like, he, he's not, I don't think he was just wandering around the Priory or the somewhere nearby in England and then puts his collection in, into the Priory because no, no, Scarman's not there. No, like, no, I don't think so either. I know. think they definitely collaborate in some way. But I, if, he is, if he is not under the direct influence of Sutek, then it seems... You've seen the shitty mummy films, surely. There are always people that think... Oh, if I do things for a god, yeah. I will be rewarded. That's true. You're, yeah. No, you're, you're right. And that's exactly what this is. Yeah. Like that, I mean, that's, that's what he's doing, I think. Um, yeah. And he's, he has a weird ring to command the, the, the robot mummies. Um, yeah. Like, he's, he's been given stuff. He's, he's maybe given a taste of power as well. He's taught some a lot. Yeah. yeah, but why? Wouldn't I it also know. make more sense for Sutik to just control him as well? I don't know why they come to the UK. <laughs> yeah, wait, why, why does this happen in the UK? I have no idea. Why not just... Surely Scarman has like a little encampment close to the burial sites in yeah. Egypt. He hasn't just gone like... He's landed, gone straight to the burial site, and he'd never like... He doesn't have a hotel room or a tent or anything. <laughs> There's clearly an encampment. Yeah. Why not just have it there? Well, I mean, if or if anything else... Why not, like, put the sarcophagus, which is the end of the portal, in just the desert or yeah, some hidden away place? And it's like, if you want to, if you want to build a rocket in secret, maybe don't do it in a big ass priory that apparently lots of people who are relatives or associates of the guy you abducted might pop into and go. Hey, where's that guy you abducted? <laughs> okay, so, question. Who the hell is Warlock? And why is his name Warlock? <laughs> <laughs> he's apparently just a friend, I think. And I don't know why he's Warlock. It Someone like, has to be. <laughs> it seems like it would have been an easy fix to just have Skarman tell Warlock. In worst case scenario, just have Skarman tell Warlock, Dude, this guy is with me. Stop, stop hanging around in my house. Like... <laughs> Yeah. Or like, I, I don't want to be your friend anymore. Don't come around. Yeah, this is the fourth time you've broken into my house. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think there just weren't enough English white men in this serial. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a really healthy lesson to take away from this. <laughs> I mean, that and the fact that it's really difficult to employ decent butler staff nowadays. <laughs> 
holy moly, Sarah Jane Smith is the only female character. Yes. Wait, is she the only female character again? I feel like we have said that recently. Yeah, I think possibly the last serial. That's a crazy amount of dudes. In actual broadcasting times, that's two months of dudes. Wow. That's eight we eight weeks of dudes. I'm just trying to remind myself. So Last one was what? Planet of Evil. It's Planet of Evil. So that definitely was all dudes. I think that was all dudes. The one before Unless there that. Was, no, no, I think that was the sausage. Yeah, before no, that, uh, we had what? That's the one we, we did. We definitely commented on. So Terror of the Zygons, there were some women in that because there was the nurse for a start. Oh, yeah. Revenge I think she was the only other. Quite possibly. Before Revenge that. of the Cybermen. That could have been all dudes, actually. Yeah, I, I feel like this might be something that crops up quite a lot. Oh, wow. I'm sad to <laughs> suddenly understand that. Yeah. A couple of other early points, and slight, very, very slightly related to the uh, the lack of female people. Mm-hmm. Very early on, Sarah Jane appears in a Victorian-style dress, and the Doctor, for some reason, in a slightly dazed state, yes. says, Hello, Vicky. Uh, yeah, he says it's... Uh, it, is it Vicky or Victoria? I wrote Vicky, but I uh, ah, okay. I would be prepared to be corrected. I I I wrote that down as well. I well, I, but I said it's a Victoria Waterfield reference, but maybe it is a Vicky reference. So he's had he's had two Victoria or sorry, not Victoria. He's had two Vicky, let's say, uh, companions in the past. He had Vicky, aka Vicky No Pants, from the Rescue, as in the episode of the Rescue, and she was okay-ish, but really she was pretty terrible. Then there was. Victoria Waterfield from, I want to say, Evil of the Daleks? I think Evil of the Daleks. And she was great. She was she was pretty fantastic. I think she ran up until... Oh, crap. No, I, I don't want to say it because I'm going to misremember. Yeah. She was certainly in Tomb of the Cybermen. Yeah, anyway, I, I think, given the clothes, this is a reference to Victoria Waterfield. Yes, I, that's what it's meant to be. Oh, it is? Okay, good. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't know these references. But that's definitely what it's, it's meant to be referring to. I just don't really understand why. I guess this is uh, so. Vicky Nopans is Hartnell's companion. Victoria Waterfield is Troughton's companion. Right. Is it, but it's purely because Sarah Jane put on a, a Victorian outfit that he's. I think it's Victoria Water as in oh, it's Victoria's her... clothes. Yeah. Oh so right. I think there are quite a few references to other Doctor Who. In, as in, like, deliberate references to other Doctor Who in yeah, the serial, okay. and I quite like that. So, I mean, specifically saying that is the dress that my former companion wore, that's probably the most sort of blatant reference, slash, holy moly, is that macabre. Like, you're wearing the actual dress, the actual clothes of someone else who, you know, at this point in the timeline, has already passed away. Like, that was way, way back in time. Yeah. That's super creepy. On the point that he he recognised the dress. Yeah. I just didn't quite understand why he delivers it in that way. It's not like, oh, that's Victoria's dress. I don't remember how he... How does he deliver it? Like, my note is, in a dazed state. Like, he he's kind of, like, half staring at the floor. He doesn't doesn't really look up properly. And he's he's not delivering it with, like, a a reverence or a... I don't, I don't know. It's just, like, hello... Vicky or Victoria. I think this also is... Most likely it comes down to directing. I think it goes hand in hand with why Tom Baker's Doctor is not acting like himself for much of this serial. I think someone 
behind the camera is telling Tom Baker, no, no, you need to do this. No, 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 no. Be less spacey, more like this. Be yeah. an arsehole or look away, seem blasé. And it's just completely unnatural and unexpected. No, Tom, you're having too much fun. Stop it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You shouldn't seem nostalgic or melancholy or anything like that. This is a friend of yours who's dead long ago, long since dead. <laughs> but, I mean, just seem blasé about it. Yeah. It, I mean, either that or Tom Baker had the flu. You know, yeah. And, and, <laughs> which I guess is not entirely impossible, but still, I'm going to put it down to directing. Yeah. Uh, I found another reference to prior Doctor Who. Uh, okay. Tom Baker in part two. I didn't make another the, the soundbite as in like, the timestamp, but... Tom Baker makes a reference to a reverse polarization. Like for a moment, uh, he contemplates this. And so that's a call back to Pertwee. We've already mentioned the excellent thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. At some point in the future, there may be a bonus episode where we re-rate that, depending <laughs> on how we feel. Okay, everyone, stop talking about it. <laughs> so shall we go and rate this stuff? Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Okay, you or me? Well, we've had a little chat offline. We have. Off air, even. And I get the feeling that I should go first, so you can decide which score to pick. It's entirely up to you. <laughs> it's entirely up to you. I have bullet points. I am, I am prepared to go first if you want to. I might just do that to make you squirm. <laughs> <laughs> so me, then? Yeah, you. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> he is actually squirming. Okay, before I go into the, the actual rating for this, I want to say... Two things. I, I have a, a few bullet points I just want to cover, uh, pros and cons. But I also want to say that I had a quick look. We pressed stop on the recording, pressed save on recording, and I had a quick look at ratings that I've given other Tom Baker serials. And I have taken that into consideration, looking at Revenge of the Cybermen, Zygons, Planet of Evil, Robot, yada, yada, yada. So there is that. That's always in the background. Okay, here are, here are my bullet points. So in the pro column... I have to say up front, I am massively influenced by my own sense of nostalgia. Yeah. Huh? I remembered this from when I was a kid. I've been bigging this up for a reason, even if we had never watched this series. If for some reason this were now a lost serial, I would continue to think that I, that I loved it, that it was not flawless, certainly, but a very, very good and, and, and legendary serial. So I am biased. And I think... Partly, with good reason, it has an excellent villain. Sutek is is marvellous. He's ingenious and evil and oh, all-powerful in, in a way that the devil in Satan Pit couldn't... This is highbrow. Satan Pit is just a, a brute. You know? Love Sutek, and I, I'm perplexed as to why he hasn't returned on TV, at least. Sarah Jane, also tremendous. Lots of agency, lots of action, very clever. I said before, I like that she's dropping little knowledge cues here and there. Yeah. Overall, this has fantastic production design as well. The, the pyramids, the, the mummies, yada, yada, yada. There's also some great editing. I'm thinking very specifically, there's one scene that really stands out to me, and that's at the very end, at, when they've defeated the gauntlet, all the doors are opening, and... At the end is the TARDIS. Oh, yeah. That's a beautiful shot. Just to parry the production design of the overall episode of the sets and everything, we have, I think, not 100% sure, but I think, a sort of scaled down or scaled back version of the Sonic in this one. Ooh. It is the Doctor Sonic, but it doesn't look as flashy as it did before. Like, it doesn't have stripes and stuff. It's just like a, it's a stick with an antenna on it. 
And also, and this I didn't notice myself really, I read this in the trivia, there's a much, much more primitive version of the TARDIS console in this one than we had in the last episode. In the last episode, I think we both were saying like, wow, it is beautiful. Yeah. In this one, they decided not to build that TARDIS console set because it was too time-consuming and too expensive. So for budgetary reasons, they used a scaled-down version of it. I don't care. It's beautiful, and it harkens back to classic, like Hartnell, that minimalist, Scandi-designed TARDIS console. The only time in my life when I will happily admit that Scandi design is nice. (laughs) (laughs) We also have great special effects, the backwards smoke effect when Scarman gets shot, for example. Beautiful. And we've got some fun slapstick with the poacher and some of the Doc and Sarah Jane scenes. Doc just walking past the Skype call, yada yada. But there is a con column as well. Number one, the plot is largely incomprehensible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a pretty big one. (laughs) I don't really get why much of what happens happens. We have a sadly underused lead henchman who just gets faded into Peter Cushing lookalike. We have, this is one of my major ones, the doc is an asshole for much of it. I don't recognize the doc as himself. And last but not least, Scarman's home has just the worst wallpaper. I mean, <laughs> it's like where every semi-blind senior citizen's wallpaper went to die. <laughs> I hated every moment spent in that, in that dismal flat. So bearing in mind, I gave Genesis 4.6, Ark in Space 4.4, Robot 4.2, and Planet of Evil 4.1. I think possibly those four are all better than this one. Maybe not as enjoyable, but they are better, more well-crafted serials. So I'm going to rate this above Zygons, I'm going to rate this above Revenge of the Cybermen, and I'm giving this... Ah, balls. I'm giving this a... For nostalgia. Fuck it. For nostalgia, I'm giving this 4.0. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I was vacillating between 3.9 and 4.0. Go for it. That was a lovely summing up of stuff, and I kind of felt like you were... Stealing all my points. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> which is which is interesting, actually, because I, I think we are mostly in agreement of the positives and negatives. It's the power of nostalgia. I think maybe the negatives just weigh a bit heavier on me. Okay. Perhaps. I don't know. I did, I did enjoy the serial, and like I, I admitted from the start, I think maybe I had a hype attached to it, which you don't get from nostalgia. Like, if you grow up watching something, you grow up watching something. Sure. I'm having to fight against everyone growing up with this and loving it and me not seeing it until a few days ago. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I don't quite understand why this is perhaps as highly regarded as it seems to be, mm. especially given what I have seen of other classic Who's so far. Like, like you just reeled off a load of ones that I enjoyed. Like Planet of Evil, I retrospectively realized it's my highest rating of any who back when episode i've been on oh really barring maybe blink i, I think perhaps um but as, as we have stats for you know and it's I, I don't know i just i just sort of clicked with that one last last time this one not so much i get probably why people are enjoying it and why i think maybe particularly as a kid i would have absolutely super loved this all the egyptian stuff it doesn't matter the plot doesn't make sense when you're a kid like there are there are mummies walking around and crushing people, and there are pyramids, and there's an Egyptian god that's super menacing. Like my my 
my points to sum this up are very much the same as yours. Like Sarah Jane is really good on form. The baddie is amazing. The production is really high. In in a pro and negative way, everyone dies. Like, <laughs> like I I can see that as just an incredible part of the the ep- the episode as a whole. Like in some ways, it is a negative that they managed to write everyone out of this. Like, there's no possible way. Well, I guess Sutek, Sutek does come back in some form for audio and novel things, or maybe it's precursors to this. I'm not sure, but like, it's hard to. It's hard to really get on board, I think, with a situation where the Doctor doesn't save anyone. Like, yes, he saved humanity as a whole, but there's not the little bystander that you latch onto and go, oh, yeah, that person's safe. Like, which, which fits into the, the other big negative that you mentioned, which is how much of an arsehole the Doctor is in this serial. There's no one to thank him afterwards. No, yeah. There's, there's, I'm not even sure if Sarah Jane would want to thank him afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Yeah, like, uh, as a kid, like I say, you, you probably let the inconsistencies of the plot slide. As an adult, I can't. Like, having discussed this with you, Leon, for now possibly close to two hours, Yep. Um, <laughs> there were more things about this plot that don't make sense than I even originally realised. And I originally thought a lot of the plot didn't make sense. And I think that's just... It's just not good enough in my mind. It's like, you can't just throw mummies at the screen, say they're robots, they look like golems, and expect everyone to just go, yeah, okay. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Occasionally you have to give a bit of backstory. You have to give a bit of, well, why is this Egyptian guy not going, no, that's not a mummy. Like, why is this ring controlling that thing that's not a mummy? And yeah, I don't know. Where did this ring come from? Yeah, where did this (laughs) ring come from? Why am I in the UK? (laughs) Why have we brought all this stuff here, man? Like, I don't know. It's just, I I just want a bit more. I want a bit more. So I'm I'm struggling to get up quite as high as you were doing. In my mind, this this is a nice, good, fun episode with problems. So my... Rating reflects that as a 2.9. <gasps> wow, 2.9? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Okay, well, you make an incredibly strong argument. I'm not going to change my rating, but I think, possibly, I need to ask you a question. How do you feel about nostalgia interfering with the rating system? I have no problem with that whatsoever, Like, especially in the classic era. And I think I probably get it with New Who a little bit. Like, the more you rewatch things, sometimes it makes it worse, sometimes it makes it better. And... Yeah, you, I don't think you're ever going to escape that, and we just have to go with it. I reckon, heads up, I reckon there are two more that I'm going to probably rate higher than they deserve. Okay. One is the next one. <laughs> oh, well. And the other one is Seeds of Doom, which is at the end of the season. Sorry, JD, I know JD hates that one. Do you think this would make a good serial to introduce someone to Classic Who? I'm going to have to say no, because okay. of the Doctor. I agree. I think the setup possibly would be... Because I think having things to do with like ancient Egypt, yes, it's been done and dusted of to death, but it's a nice, easy thing to understand, even though the plot doesn't make sense. You know, so you you could you could have used it, but no, not with the way the Doctor is written and directed. Yeah, I agree. As I was yep. asking you, I realised that yep. was a futile question. Right, dude, fantastic mini, nice one. Shall we jump into Listener Mini Land? Let's do that. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Shazamatron. <laughs> and Kablamo. <laughs> That's right. We have a metric nut ton 
of Listener Minis for this one. Unsurprisingly, given its uh, legendary nature, first out of the gate is Paul Forber. Hello, Paul. Hello there, Paul. We're going to trim this one. It was a little bit over 250 words. It is a brilliant, brilliant mini slash synopsis of this serial, though. So please do yourselves a favor and read it in its full splendor. But we're going to jump straight to the end. Spoiler alerts. And we're going to say the following. Do you want to take it away? Yes. Pyramids of Mars bears the hallmark of producer Philip Hinchcliffe's time on Doctor Who, which many regard as the show's golden age. The Doctor faced an ancient evil he must defeat with determination and intelligence in four episodes. Antagonists controlling other characters save money, preventing new monsters from being needed for each story. The practice was creepy and dovetailed with the prevailing gothic horror themes. Sutek was too powerful to defeat through brute force and threatened all life in the universe. Both Osiron and Time Lord were utterly relentless. Even facing defeat, neither gave up because the stakes of their struggle could not have been higher. It remained unclear who would win until this fascinating, suspenseful story's climactic penultimate scene. Dun, dun, dun. That is... Oh, Paul, you should be writing copy for the BBC because that is trailer-level suspense. I like <laughs> it. It's, it's great. Uh, ladies and gents who are not Paul, please, please, please read Paul's mini, or maxi rather, in his full splendor on whobackone.com and also high-five Paul online. He can be found on Twitter at wordsmithpaul. Thank you, Paul. Next up, we've got Chris Dapps Paddock. Hello there, Chris Dapps. Chris Dapps says... Hi, gents. Hello, Christabs. Dropping in for a new series. This series I've watched in pieces and in sequence probably a dozen times because this is the main serial that the Sci-Fi Channel would broadcast over and over again in the mid-90s. I know this is much loved, but the intro I got to it means it never had much luster. That said, says Christabs, I think this is a great Hammer-esque gothic horror story in parts. One of a few Baker will do. I love mummies, mind control, teleportation, and ancient Egypt as alien civilization, and this has all of them. I'll give this a solid 4.2. Worth rewatching, but probably not worth watching random out of sequence episodes because they happen to be on during lunch. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, th- <laughs> thank you very much, Chris Dabs. Thank you, Chris Dabs. Awesome, awesome stuff. Okay, next up, we've got Trenton Blaise. Hey there, Trenton. Hello, Trenton. Trenton starts. Season 13 is best remembered for this story. I loved Pyramids of Mars, and it does definitely deserve the title of classic. Even though this is one of those Earth Miss Explained as Aliens type stories, it's done well. I really like Susak as the villain. So chilling and brutal. You really believe he is a god amongst men through the power he has in his voice. The writing under a pseudonym, this story has Robert Holmes written all over it. Philip Hinchcliffe later reflected, effectively a page one rewrite from Bob. (laughs) Add that to an extended subplot devoted to the hunt and murder of a poacher, and part two becomes, unusually, the runaround episode, albeit offering the most impressive padding ever. Why does Sutek need to fire his rocket from a priory in England? (laughs) Beats me. (laughs) (laughs) Once free, why is he oddly inert? And why doesn't his... Jackalhead match for Spectre scene in part one. Lawrence's Marconiscope is too convenient. Sarah is unreasonably adept with a rifle. Why does the Doctor disguise the mummy still have the service of robots over eye indentations and barrel chests? 
All these are minor, amusing quibbles. None detracts from the viewing experience. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> like Sutik himself, Trenton continues, Pyramids of Mars remains perfectly preserved as decades pass. In 1976, it was voted the best story of season 13 by the Doctor Who Appreciation Society. It's still high in fan polls and has an unshakable appeal. This story easily earns its score of 4.5 out of 5. <laughs> wow. We're, we're going up. We're going up. Chris Dubs was 4.2. We're now at 4.5. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Thank you very much, Trenton. Thank you, Trenton. Are you not Trenton? Well, you should follow Trenton on Twitter. He can be found at Trenton Blairs. That's Blairs with two what's, Jim? Remind me. Egyptian snakes. Correct. Next up. (laughs) 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 Cue the new reviewer theme. New reviewer. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the fold. Keel Harris. Apologies if we're not saying that right. We we are say we're going to say Keel until you correct us. Yes, yes. <laughs> Welcome aboard. And Keel greets us as well, saying hello. <laughs> Keel starts. Let me also say I found the podcast about eighteen months ago when Ooh. I was watching all the Doctor Who episodes, old and new. Oh, nice! I have listened to every episode. Even through Leon's solo missing episode shows. Thank you very much. Slash, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I always like the way you don't need to recap every second and get into a solid debate about the episode stories. So basically, thank you. Why, thank you. (laughs) Back at you. Thank you, Akil. Thank you. Oh, this is awesome. This is the kind of stuff that really feeds our egos. (laughs) Which is why we read it out loud. (laughs) Much appreciated. Anyway, on to the period of Mars, says Gil. This was the one that got me hooked. My dad put on the Doctor every night, but this serial hooked me. Professor Marcus Scarman freaked me out more than any other Doctor Who bad guy. Sutek was a good foe to the Doctor because he was one of the few villains who were more powerful than the Doctor. Sarah Jane and the Doctor were a great pair, and this season was the high point. The mummy robot was good, but Doctor as a mummy... Not so good. <laughs> Lawrence's dedication to his brother was really nice to see. The 70s disco time tunnel was goofy. But wonderful. <laughs> That's my edit, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all in all, says Keel, I give it a 3.9. And adds in brackets, this will change after listening to the podcast. <laughs> I, I really hope not. I know I have rated this quite a lot lower than everyone else. <laughs> But if you enjoyed this before you listen to our dissection of it, I hope you still enjoy it. Yeah. Oh, agreed. And I I have to say, I agree with, I think, everything you've said except for the Dr. Sarah Jane chemistry bit. I think that one was a little off in this serial, but everything else is really, really on on point. Especially the Lawrence dedication to his brother. That's a scene we didn't discuss at all. No, we didn't pick up that. Like, it's heart-wrenching when those two meet. Yeah. Well, and, and... well, I guess we hinted at it a little bit, just, oh, just how much he's always, like, not accepting that his brother's gone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is a good trait. Keel, thank you so much for joining us on this temporal road. People of Podcast Land who are not Keel, please say hi to Keel on Twitter. You know, give him a high five. Keel can be found at Mass FI Panthers. 
Gil, we're going to think of a fun <laughs> way of saying that for your next mini. We, we expect you to send more of these awesome minis in. <laughs> Again, sorry if we mispronounce your name. Next up, we have Peter Zunich. The Zunmeister himself. Hello, Peter. Hello, Peter. I don't know why I waved. <laughs> <laughs> On behalf of Peter, I shall wave back. <laughs> Sorry, guys, the vodka's hit. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Peter says, There's a reason this is considered one of the best serials in Who history. From moment one, this quiet little story delivers intense interest, fascinating characters, a haunting troop of baddies, and stellar yet stoic acting. Let's be honest, says Peter. How many shows can make you feel such trepidation for a baddie that barely turns his head? His minions are equally frightful, and the mummies have just the right balance of fantasy and technology. The casting here was perfect. Scarman says so much just by standing and looking around. The interplay between the Doctor and Sarah is a delight to watch. Even the most irrelevant poacher is used to his full extent. No review of this story would be complete without a nod to the music, props, wardrobe, and decoration departments. Sutek's mask is terrifying and speaks volumes. Putting Sarah in Victoria's dress is a wonderful nod to the past. It could have been a thinly veiled ploy, but was handled with care and just works. Placing her in that both accentuates the time period and subliminally heightens her peril. Topping it, though, is the chaotic organ score, eerily constructed with the ominous incidental tones that would offset nails on a chalkboard. (laughs) If I were a complainer, says Peter, I might consider handling the puzzle at the end slightly different, but that's not even a gripe, just an afterthought. This story is a must-watch for any Who fan, and easily earns its place towards the top of the ratings pyramid. Hey! (laughs) Nice pun. (laughs) And the rating that Peter gives this is Suppressed Explosive 4.8. Whoa! <laughs> oh, fantastic. Oh, my Jesus. Whoop, whoop. Okay, we, <laughs> we've got a high score so far. High score, 4.8. Yep. Nice one, Peter. Thank you so much. Excellent mini. Thank you, Peter. Let's see if we can top 4.8, shall we? Let's see. Next up, we have Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hi, Michael. Hello, Michael. So Michael had some things he liked. What are they? (laughs) (laughs) The robot mummies and pasty face Scarman. Next thing he liked, super scary, brutal, nutty fez guy getting burnt up, Vince Cable lookalike Dr. Warlock being strangled, and the poacher mummy sandwich. (laughs) The one scene I remember on VHS as a kid. Other things being burned up alternative 1980s Earth. Plus, a reveal that the Time Warrior was set in 1980? Well, I think this... Oh, well, right, saying, because like, that's her Sarah introductory Jane. episode. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. So she would have... That would, yeah, you're right, exactly. It's all a bit weird, yeah. Uh, next up, cool Egyptian alien mythology stuff. Take that, Stargate. Uh, uh, I think I might say Stargate is better. But anyway. <laughs> Sarah on form, says Michael, saving the day a couple of times and looking mean-ass with a rifle. Almost as mean-ass as... Seventh Doctor... Companion Ace, almost. <laughs> nice little reference by Sarah to the City of Exelons from the masterpiece and criminally underrated serial Death to the Daleks. Sorry. Oh, apologies. See previous uh, parenthesis. <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing that Michael liked, at least on this little list, is the Naftardis key on a string aside. Shit hot effects. It's very true. <laughs> 
Michael also has some boobs. Hmm, those Horus Guardians look suspiciously like Sutex robot mummies, but with gold duct tape stuck to them. That fight between the two mummies looks like it's going to go on for a long time. <laughs> Wait, is this the scene that made me think of Rock'em Suck'em Robots? Uh, 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 yeah, I'm reenacting it, ladies and gents. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the next beef that Michael has, not a beef with this cereal. But there is a lot of cool world-building mythology of alien gods that are more powerful than Time Lords and we never see here of again. Boo. That's true. I mean, the boo is, is as you said, it's not about this serial. There's so much potential with what they set up in this serial. It's a crime against art that that is never revisited. Yeah. Right, next boof. Why does Sutek want to trash everything? Is he a bit Thanos or just a total wacko? Uh, both. Yes, both. I think he's just been in prison for thousands of years and is a bit pissed off. Yeah, well, why does he want to trash everything, dude? It's, uh, oh, oh, I was about I to. Know. I was about to spoil some Game of Thrones stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do it. Do no, it. No, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm I want. Doing it. I want to see people cry. Nope. <laughs> Nope, no, not at all. Okay. All right, next beef. Go for it. No, we're, oh. done, we're done with beefs. Oh, we're done with That was beefs. <laughs> yeah. The next thing is a comment. Mm-hmm. Mars must be a crowded place with ice warriors, water zombies, and Sutek. I'm hoping they all get together for a potluck supper. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this as well. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's true. In summary, says Michael, Doctor Who does hammer horror and does it better than the horrors hammer was churning out around the same time. And it gives this a rating of... 4.6 out of 5. Edwardian blokes in tweed being fired, strangled, crushed, and eviscerated. Bad days all around. <laughs> yeah, very true. Excellent mini, as always, Michael. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Dearest podcast land, I speak to you because I love you. <laughs> I want you to do the following. Please, go online follow michael on twitter he can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club no more underscores no more underscores thank you very much michael next up we have paul Waring. hi paul hello paul paul who very recently on twitter in fact uh, recommended us just want to say that Aww. thank you very much paul thank you paul paul starts you can't go wrong with a Hinchcliffe and home story and pyramids of mars is one of the best examples of their mostly successful attempts to take the show in a different direction although i miss harry says paul the fact that we have one companion again means that sarah gets plenty to do including demonstrating that she's a crack shot with a hunting rifle the chemistry between the doctor and sarah continues to show with her little quips about him being middle-aged or setting off jellignite by sneezing Aha. The rest of the cast is brilliant too, although this is one of those rare stories where everyone other than the TARDIS team meets a sticky end. Yes, yes, yes everyone yes. dies. Yeah, we talked about this as well. Even the building is destroyed. The way characters are killed, suffocation, strangulation, shooting with visible blood are noticeably more violent than previous seasons where we tend to see people shot with some form of futuristic gun. Mm, very true. Paul continues... Egyptologists will no doubt froth at the mouth that Sutek's tomb being from the First Dynasty, given the pyramids weren't built until 500 years later. The doy. <laughs> but for the rest of us, it proves a background of mystery and horror. Overall, says Paul, this is up there with Genesis of the Daleks as one of the best stories ever made. And even the infamous Hand of Sutek blooper. Oh, yes. 
Pen, pen. Pen, okay. <laughs> Cannot stop me awarding four marks. Oh, my goodness. We've done it. We've gone on <laughs> a little blip. We had a little blip down, but we finally got up to the crescendo of five out of five. <laughs> oh, amazing, amazing stuff. Paul, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Paul. In case you were wondering, and I know that you were, podcast land. Paul can, in fact, be found on Twitter. He is at P. Waring. And that's it. Oh, man. We ended on a high of five out of five. Incredible stuff. Thank you, everyone, who sent in a mini for this one. Yes, thank you, everyone. Awesome stuff. We have another legendary serial coming up in our next classic review. But before then, we have a new Who review. Namely, we are going to be talking about... The Bells of St. John. Oh, yeah. After that, we're back to classics with... The Android Invasion. Spoiler alert, I'm going to be giving that an unreasonably high mark. (laughs) (laughs) As I suspect will many of you. In the meantime, feel free to high-five us online... Uh, Jim, you're on Twitter, right? Yes, I'm at Jimmy the Who. And I am at Ponkin. Thank you again so, so much. You've been a lovely audience. Until the next time, rock on, be rad and excellent to each other, and cha-chao. See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of Who Back When. Tell your friends! But I've got no friends! No problemo, tell some strangers! Hooray! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash whobackwhen. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at whobackwhen. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own. Browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Who back when?